So that's pretty cool. So 1 John, but, but as I got into it, because I was like, I've never really taught this before. It'll be good for me to learn. But this is what's so cool about 1 John. In the book of 1 John, the, the church, which is probably the church of Ephesus, Ephesians, Ephesus, um, this is probably the church that John is writing to, is the church in Ephesus. And they have had a really nasty split over a difficult issue, which sounds like exactly what's happening in the church in America today. Um, a difficult issue, and, and in America, I would say it's issues, right? Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us there's nothing new under the sun, okay? Which means we are the same now as we were 2,000 years ago. We just have cooler toys and better phones, right? Maybe, I don't know. So, but that, that's the only difference, right? And the church, so I don't know, I mean, the church as I've seen it today has been in a lot of turmoil. A lot of church teachers and church leaders who I've trusted and loved have come out on certain issues and places that I'm like, how can you think like that? You've been my hero for years and now you're coming out like this? And, and, and it's blowing my mind and um, there's so much turbulence and, and you don't know what to think. Um, a news reporter one time said about the war in Vietnam, I love history, and, and a news reporter one time said about the war in Vietnam, if you're not confused, then you don't get it. Meaning the situation was so confusing that if you thought there was just a simple switch to fix it all, you shouldn't say anything, right? Because the situation was so layered and difficult. That's a lot like what's happening in the church in America today, in my opinion, and it's very similar to what was happening in 1 John in the church of Ephesus. So, John, the same disciple slash apostle who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote the letter of Revelation, now writes 1, 2, and 3 John. He writes these letters to this church in Ephesus to help them figure things out. What is a Christian in America? What does it mean to be a Christian in America? Should we always... That's rhetorical, by the way. Should we always... Should we always vote Republican? Should we always vote Democrat? Should you never vote? What are you supposed to do on issues of race? What do we think of the storming of the Capitol? What do we make of Ferguson? What are your answers to these things? Trying to navigate these things. If you're not, confu if you're not confused, then you don't get it, right? We need some clarity. And John gives us clarity and helps remind the Christians in Ephesus what the real thing looks like, okay? What the real thing looks like looks like. I always say, if, if you think the Bible's boring, it's because you've never read it, right? This is very, very intense and interesting. So, quick overview, and then we'll jump into verses 1 through 10. Cool? So cool. All right. What's interesting here, if you're a note taker, miracle worker, promise keeper, what's interesting here is that John, thank you for the three of you who got that joke. Um, don't use that next time. Okay, so what, what's interesting here is that John focuses on three big themes, okay? So three big themes of the three books in John, and they all go together. Love, obedience, and doctrine, okay? Love, obedience, and doctrine. How do you sum up the book of 1 John? What is it about? Love, obedience, and doctrine. But he doesn't do like we do in a presentation and go point one, new slide, point two, new slide, point three. They repeat, all three of these themes repeat throughout the letter. And I'm telling you this now because you're going to see it a lot. They repeat throughout the letter, 
and they come one after the other, like a pile of laundry, right? Where does the pant leg start and the shirt sleeve begin? No one knows. Like, that's what is happening with love, obedience, and doctrine in this book, in this letter. They all sort of tumble all over together. And John's not writing like this because he's crazy. He's writing like this to show us, listen, that all three are connected, okay? All three are connected. They all influence each other. Um, Your doctrine is what you think of love. Your obedience is how you act out that love. Neglecting doctrine will impact your love. We shouldn't shouldn't worry so much about science. It's so boring. We should get insulin out there to people. Okay, well, do you know how to make insulin? Oh, well, no. Well, maybe we do need science. See what I'm saying? Like, doctrine, we don't need to worry about doctrine. We need to worry about how we love people. Your doctrine, what you think about what this book says, influences how you act towards other people. Does that make sense? What you think about what this book says influences how you act towards other people. That's your doctrine affecting your obedience, which is love. That whole thing is love. It all connects together. And John is constantly reminding us this over and over about all these three things. Love, doctrine, and obedience are all about worshiping God. So let's get right to it. 1 John 1 through 4. 1 John 1 through 4. And I'll read and then we'll just talk for a little bit. 1 John 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaimed to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. What in the world did he just say, right? So first of all, let's break it down a little bit. First of all, this is interesting. He gets, John just goes straight into it. Like if I just walked up to you and said, what we saw from the beginning, what we have heard, what what are you talking about? Like he just jumps right into this. There's no greeting. And he doesn't introduce himself as John. So how do we know that this is John writing this. Well, one of the reasons people believe this was written by John is because the letters of John are really similar to the Gospel of John. Does that make sense? The letters of John are really similar to the Gospel of John. In fact, and we won't go there, but if you go back and look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, they are like carbon copy of verses 1 through 4. Not word for word, but in terms of the same pattern. Like it's like this kind of rambling sentence, and it's and it's the light and the life and all men, and then just and, and in the beginning, it starts from the beginning. It specifically says that. It's it's the same kind of tone. John gets right into it, and he starts by affirming that Jesus Christ is real. This is his first point. He starts by affirming that Jesus Christ is is real. That he wasn't energy or vibes or something inside all of us. He was a real person. Look at verse 1. What we have seen with our eyes, touched with our hands. Verse 2. What was made manifest to us, or what showed itself, showed himself 
to us. Why does he start like this? This is a weird way to start the letter. Well, we'll find out later in this letter. You remember I said the church had split over over a dispute, right? We'll find out later that this church has split over doctrine. Specifically, you have this one group who's trying to stay faithful, and you have this other group who has branched off, and here's why. They believe that all matter, all flesh, human bodies, it's all evil, okay? You know how the church in America is really influenced right now by politics, okay? The church in ancient Rome was influenced by Greek thought and philosophy. This is straight out of Greece, okay? Straight out of Greek thought that the material world is evil, and you have to achieve this sense of enlightenment and free yourself from the material world that holds you down. Now, here's why this is important. What does that have to do with Jesus? Here's why this is important. If all matter and all flesh and all humanity is evil, then Jesus Christ couldn't have been in a real body. That's what they believe, and we're going to get there later. That's what they believe, that Jesus Christ, if all matter is evil, then Jesus Christ couldn't have taken a real body. Now, they believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but they didn't believe he took up a real body, okay? You'll find in your life, when you encounter people who believe differently than you about Jesus, it's usually they believe in Jesus, but they just peter off this way, and they just keep going and going and going. This belief that Jesus didn't have a human body, and there's not going to be a quiz, but this belief that Jesus didn't have a human body is called docetism, D-O-C-E-tism, okay? Um, Docetic is Greek for seems. It seemed like he had a body. He just seemed to have a body, but he, but he could have actually had one. It's called docetism, and it tore through the church. So, first of all, okay, thanks, Ryan. How do I apply this? Fun fact, every generation of the church has controversy. Don't think that the cultural moment that you live in right now is the first time the church has ever dealt with controversy, is the first time the church has ever had to split over things. Um, the Methodist church is literally splitting at the seams right now. You can look it up later, because um, I know that's what you want to do when you get home, is look up the Methodist church. Um, every generation, and if, you, if that's what you do when you get home, then you need to just be a PV in college, because we talk about it, we talk about, like, this is what we get into. Um, but you know, for our generation, it's politics and race and COVID. For them, it was docetism, okay? Does that make sense? 30 years ago, it was, is Scripture inerrant or not? After that, it was the end times and revelation. Every church, and so, so listen, take heart and be encouraged by this. This is not the first battle the church has had to go through. This is not the first speed bump the church has had to pop over, okay? And the church is still, I mean, we survived docetism, and, and the church is worldwide now. Don't think that this is going to be the end. Does that make sense? Take heart in this. The church has always endured controversy, okay? And here's the other thing. This, one, this is a side road. I'm just going to ramble for just a second. Um, being a Christian, now listen, being a Christian is about living in tension, intention, okay? When a tightrope walker is out in the middle of the rope and the rope is kind of up and down a little bit, that doesn't mean he's doing anything wrong. That's part of what he does. When you live in this tension of, of loving your parents who believe very differently than you do about politics, but you still need to love them, or who believe very differently than you do about alcohol, 
or who believe very differently than you do about race, and you're friends, and you live in that tension, that, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. We are supposed to, as Christians, tension, that bouncing, is part of the Christian life. You're doing it right. It's broken on this side. It'll get fixed after. But take heart in understanding that you're doing it. You're, you're, you're doing okay. Look at me. You're doing okay. You are. You're doing okay. This is part of it. Being a, and that's what, look at, I mean, that's what John is telling him, is, is living in this tension of figuring this out, okay? Um, there are several reasons that docetism, or the idea that, that Jesus Christ didn't take up a body, like why waste a whole book of the Bible on that? Who cares? Come on, really? This is why this is important, that Jesus has to take up a real body. First of all, three reasons this violates the Bible. One, in Genesis 1, God literally puts his hands in the dirt to make man, right? He makes man, he makes Adam out of the dirt, okay? And then he makes Eve out of Adam, so it still connects back, right? God makes creation, and then every day at the end of each day, church kids, he says that it was what? Good. He says that it was good. He doesn't say that it's evil. He doesn't say that it's bad. He doesn't say that it's corrupted and terrible and awful. So to believe that all matter and flesh and earth is bad is directly pushing back against the Bible. You can't love Jesus and contradict the Bible at the same time. Jesus is the Word of God. Number two, now this is huge. Now let me finish this. So one, God created matter and flesh. So that's one. Number two, we don't have souls. We are souls. We don't have bodies. We are bodies. Okay? All flesh is evil. Well, hold on. You see what I'm saying? You just need to focus on the soul, not the body. The body is evil. The body and the soul aren't split like that. Think about it like this. Isn't it interesting that when God created Adam, who had a soul, I think we can agree, isn't it interesting that when God creates Adam, it just talks about his body? Not so much his soul. Now, God breathes life into that body. That's probably the soul. But the body is the soul taking action. Your body does what your soul wants. Does that make sense? If your soul craves mellow mushroom, your stomach is working with your soul to get after. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? And you dial the, the buttons on the phone, you do all that thing. Um, when Paul, so mellow mushroom aside, when Paul talks about sex in the New Testament, now everybody listens. When Paul talks about <laughs> sex in the New Testament, he listen, he says, don't you understand that you become one with that person? He says that in the New Testament about sex. Don't you understand that you become one with that person? That only makes sense if the body and soul are together. If the body and soul aren't together, then you can sleep with whoever you want because it's just a body. Side note, if this, and you know, it's week one, so why not just jump in here? If the body and soul are much more connected together than you think they are, be very careful with the my body, my choice argument. Because it's not just a body. Does that make sense? It's not just a woman's body. It's the body and soul together. It's a soul that's... And I'm not talking about the fetus or anything like that. And, I, and, I'm, and, I, and this also applies to... I mean, this applies to modesty. This applies to men as well as women. 
if the body and the soul are more closely connected than you think, maybe there's more at stake than you think. That's for next semester, though, when we talk about that. But if your soul and your body are united as one entity, if God created Adam, it doesn't say God created Adam's body and then God created Adam's soul and then combined the two and we have like a video to show. It it doesn't say that. It says God created Adam and he's got a body and he's got a soul. They go together. The body and the soul are connected. So to say that all flesh is evil doesn't make sense because your flesh is part of you. It's part of your soul. Now, hurting someone's body through violence or abuse is a much bigger deal because you're assaulting a soul. And 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 of course, like war is in there, but also like, um, and and war goes deeper, but different side road. But like, I, I mean, in terms of like, talk to assault victims. Really, it's just their bodies that got hurt? Really? That's why they're in therapy, because it's just their body that's been hurt. The body and the soul are connected to one another. Or ask someone who's been in a bad car accident. Come on, it was just your body that got hurt. Your soul is fine. It's impacted because they go together. They're connected. See why this is important? See why this is a big deal? Number three, last one. If Jesus didn't take a bodily form, then our bodies cannot be saved from sin. If Jesus didn't take a bodily form, then our bodies cannot be saved from sin. Jesus became a human so that he could save humanity. Well, I thought Jesus saved our souls. Think about it. He did save our souls. And to do it, he didn't come to earth as this soul. He came in a body. He came in a body to save our souls, which means the soul and the body go together. That's how important the body is. So, believing that Jesus was just a spirit not only destroys human nature, but it also destroys the gospel. Jesus taking physical form shows that what we do with our physical bodies in this physical world matters. Let me back up again. Jesus taking physical form shows that what we do with our physical bodies in the physical world matters. It mattered enough to Jesus to become like us. Christians should care about others and our bodies. And we'll get into this when we get into the obedience part of what John's talking about. And that is perfectly shown in Jesus because he took the form of a person, a body. Okay. Throughout these first four verses, John says we a lot. We is probably in reference to the other apostles. Just as a side note, who is this we that's talking here? To be an apostle, you had to physically see Jesus. That's why the disciples became the apostles. They're the ones who saw Jesus. And that's another reason we believe this was John. Look at verses 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. We write these things to you so that you can believe them. And when you believe them, you will have fellowship with us. You can't have fellowship with us unless you believe these things. Now, that's not like if you don't believe this, you can't sit here. That's not what that is. If you don't believe this, then you don't have fellowship with us. We're telling you this 
so that you will believe this so that you'll stay connected to us as a church. Our church believes this. To be in this church, you have to believe this. Doctrine is important in uniting and defining a church. Doctrine is important. Some churches split over stuff they should not split over. Stupid stuff that they should not split over. But sometimes that leads people to say, oh, doctrine isn't important. Doctrine just divides. But doctrine is an essential part of the health and safety of a church. Because if it's not, then anyone who believes anything can teach anything. That's why this is important. Doctrine is deeply, deeply important. Well, we should just love people. What does John say? Your doctrine impacts how you love people. And by the way, believing that doctrine doesn't matter, that's a doctrine, so you can't get away from it, so whatever. Also in verse 4, it says, our joy will be complete when you believe this. Doctrine is not just key for the health of a church. What you believe is key for the joy of the church. Getting Jesus right is the key to joy, John is telling his people. He's telling his people, I know you've lost people in your church due to false beliefs. I know you're watching the church tear itself apart over these beliefs. Stay the course. I know you're watching your grandparents and your parents and your friends tear each other apart in different churches because they believe in different things when it comes to race and the president and COVID and Afghanistan. Stay the course. Stay the course. Live in that tension. You're doing it right. John says, and remember in verses 1 through 4, I know you're watching your best friend leave to go to docetism. I know your spouse believes that Jesus doesn't have a body. We were there. We saw him. Trust us. Stay connected to us by believing that Jesus took on flesh so that he could save us. Listen, how do you apply this? The true church is not the most patriotic church. The true church is not, let's go to the other side. I'm going to get everybody in here. The true church is not the church most concerned about social justice. Though patriotism is important and social justice is important, the true church is the church that obeys and believes the Bible. Out of that Bible will come the right amount of love for our country and good citizenship. Out of the Bible will come the best way to love our neighbor. Social justice done the right biblical way. Patriotism done the right and biblical way. I think we've all had some cringy 4th of July services. I think we have, right? It's just weird, right? I think we've all looked at some preachers on Instagram who talk about how Jesus really doesn't matter as long as you're loving your neighbor. It's because of Jesus that we know that loving your neighbor is important. The church that believes the Bible is the true church. That's what John is saying here. So in in this day and age where it's so easy to get split over a doctrine... Did you know that these, I don't know, did you know that these boomers that you hate so much, so many of us go the other way so hard with it that it's the same legalism but with a fresh coat of paint. It's the same thing. 
It's just got a different color of paint on it. What does the Bible teach us? That's the key. Verses 5 through 10. Verses 5 through 10. We're already halfway done. 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from Him. That's Jesus. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We'll come back to that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This section is split into three parts. It's three if we says followed by a truth. Does that make sense? And if we say and then a truth. And if we say and then a truth. And if we say, and then the truth. The if we says are the bad things. Boo. And then the truths are the good things. All right? God is light. God is totally holy. There is no darkness in him at all. Look at verse 6. If, if we, there's that first one. If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from our sin. If we walk in darkness, do you see that word in your, in your text? If we walk in darkness, um, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, you may want to circle that. This word for walk, you walk everywhere, right? This word for walk is a repeated pattern or practice. It's not a specific one-time sin, John is not talking about if you believe in Jesus and really blew it that one time, then you're, then you're not a Christian. John's talking about if you say you believe in Jesus, but the regular, repeated pattern of your life says otherwise. We got problems, okay? If you walk in darkness, okay? In other words, it's not about one specific sin. John's talking about the pattern, the overall flow of our lives. Believing correctly about Jesus is this huge, big, cool, passion 2022 ah, moment. It's great. But it also affects our daily, repeated patterns in our lives. There's nothing wrong with complaining about your job. It's okay. But if you get in the car angry every single day, fighting lust is a good thing, and sometimes we lose that battle. But if you lose that battle every single day, if your language is not changing since you've met Jesus, if your attitudes towards family members that you just can't stand is not changing since you've met Jesus, you may say you're a Christian, but what does your daily, repeated walk look like? Are you still walking in darkness. John's saying, there's a disconnect here. Verse 7. Verse 7. And when I find it, we will read it. It is here. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He doesn't say, if you walk in the light, then you got it. If you walk in the light, you're awesome. He doesn't say that. He says, if you walk in the light, it's not proof that you're awesome. It's proof that Jesus has bought you. If we walk in the light, then the blood of His Son has cleansed us. The effect that Jesus has on us. God is light, so the repeated pattern of our lives should be more walking in the light. By the way, notice how John has shifted from doctrine straight into obedience here. The shirt pant is now the, the shirt pant. What in the world? The, you get what I'm saying. Well, that's a good example. They're all, it just all tumbles together here because they all relate to each other. It's very easy, okay, boom, it's very easy to, do, to doctrinally know why old people who voted a certain way are wrong. It's easy to know that. It's way harder to love those people. That's what you have to do. That's what John is saying. Don't just be so proud because you didn't do what another group of people did. Are you able to step into obedience and love those people you disagree with so much? That's what he's talking about here. I got my doctrine. I know I'm right. I know what the Bible says. I can show you the verses. That's great. But you're not loving these people. You're not loving these people that you disagree with so much. Practicing. In verse 6 it says, if we practice the truth. It's the same verb as like if a doctor practices medicine. It's what they do. Now, this sounds really difficult. It sounds like John is kind of going for perfect here. You just got to obey, obey, obey. And then he gives us the best, maybe, part of the text in 8 through 10. 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. Why on earth would you say that you have no sin? Church Kid 101, right? We're all sinful, Romans 3.23, blah, blah, blah. But here's the problem. There's your doctrine, but it's missing in here. Sin is not only wrong, bad. The effect of sin is that it blinds us to our sin. The effect of your sin is that it blinds you to your sin. You see that? The effect of your sin is that it corrodes you. How could men and women who helped with the Holocaust do what they did over and over? It's interesting. One of the reports at the um, Versailles Peace Treaty, um, I think that was World War I, though. Anyway, that was, that's what I thought. Thanks. That's what you got out of that? Um, but the... So, no, it's good. It's good. Um, like at the peace treaties after World War II, this, this lady wrote a report for the, for the World magazine, and what happened was she talked about how none of the Nazis had like fangs and maniacal laughs. They were like school teachers and janitors and postal workers. They were just like you and me. And she got all this hate for it because people couldn't handle the fact that Nazis weren't different than normal people. How do normal people become Nazis? Well, they're crazy. No, they're not. Sin blinds you to your own sin. What does Paul say in Romans? The seeds of disobedience are in all of us. It's just a matter of what gets watered and what doesn't. 
How can you start a sinful habit and keep it up for so long? Because the terror of sin is that it blinds us to our own sin. It numbs us to our hearts. It numbs our hearts to it. But we can also ignore our sin. If we say we have no sin, our inner lawyer comes out. When you get accused of a sin, nine times out of ten, you're not going to be like, oh, wow, thank you, man, I really needed that. Thank you for sanctifying me. No. Your inner lawyer comes out. You don't know what kind of week I've had. You don't know how hard my family situation is. You know how hard my marriage is. You don't know what kind of, what kind of day it's been. You don't know. And, and we're just pushing everything off of us. No one likes to be accused of our sin, but John is saying if you never can take it and learn from it and grow from it, it shows that you have no idea what this truth is that you've been talking about. Don't say that you haven't sinned. Too many people right now, and we're going to go here every week because it's college and I can say whatever I want. Too many people right now, listen, Christians are trying to cover up the sins of their favorite presidents, past and present. Too many Christians are trying to, set, are trying to push the blame away, never acknowledging wrong for wrong. Don't make Jesus a liar, verse 10. You make Jesus a liar when you do that. As Christians, now listen, as Christians, we should be the first to admit that we're wrong. And, to, and the first to call it a wrong in the past or in the present. Because we're the only people who know the cure for it. What kind of, what kind of message does that send when a Christian is unwilling to acknowledge sins of the past? Trying to cover them all up. What does that say about the power to forgive? What does that say about the power that the cross has to cover sin if we won't acknowledge that there's any sin to cover? It shows that you don't really get this, that the truth is not in you. You see what he's saying? You sing about forgiveness every Sunday, but then when you finally get cornered with something that you need forgiveness for, you won't take it. Because you don't actually understand the beauty of what you've been given. The truth's not in you. This is something that we need to check ourselves on. How quick are you to defend things that you know are wrong in yourself or in others. If we constantly try to cover up our sins or the sins of other people, then the truth is not in us. The key is not to ignore sin, verse 9, but to confess it. To confess it. If you are ignoring or minimizing your sin, you aren't fighting it. You fight sin by confessing sin to other people particularly those that you've wronged. Listen, note takers, you are never going to beat your sin by yourself. You are never going to beat your sin by yourself. Keeping it bottled up, keeping it in the dark where no one sees, that's not going to hide it away. That's where mold grows. That's where asbestos grows and becomes deadly. Is in the dark. Only in confessing sin do we fight sin confessing it to each other, learning to forgive one another. That's the community that John wants us to build. And when we confess our sins, God will respond with faithfulness, forgiveness, and cleansing. Verses 8 through 10. Jesus Christ has paid in His human body for every sin that you will ever commit in yours. Jesus Christ has paid in His human body for every sin that you will ever commit 
in your body. His human body was hung on a cross for you and me so that when we sin, God looks at Christ's sacrifice and says, of course I'll forgive you. Your punishment has already been paid. Notice in, I think it's verse 9, it says, He is faithful and just to forgive us. It's not, it's not His mercy that forgives us, it's His justice that forgives us. Wait a minute, it's God's justice that punishes sin. Yeah, He already did it on the cross. And now that same justice is for you. It's His justice. And of course, His mercy is what sent Jesus, and He's merciful to, to us every day. But the doctrine, see what I did there, is that, his, is that it is just for God to forgive us. He forgives us because He's a just God. Because He'll always get it right. And every single sin that you've committed has been paid for. Jesus hung on the cross because we are sinful. And He rose from the dead because we are forgiven. I am so excited to jump into 1 John with you guys this semester. We're going to talk about love and doctrine and obedience over and over and over and over again. And we're going to eat food, and you're going to get free books because doctrine is huge, and we're going to learn how to love one another. Is there a sin that you can, is there a sin that you can confess to a friend? And it doesn't have to be, you know, a confession of sin. Do you need to apologize? Do you need to try? Do we need to work on confessing our sins and being honest with each other? Love, obedience, and doctrine. These are the things that Jesus died for so that we could grow in them. Let's pray together and then we'll sing a little bit more.